It's, it's really, really good to be with you this morning. I have, a, I have a confession to make. I have, for the entirety of this Exodus series, which now has stretched into something like five weeks so far, I have been preaching the same sermon every single week. Now, some of you may be sitting there thinking at least to yourself, or maybe the, the person next to you just whispering, saying, I feel like he's been preaching the same basic sermon since the first Sunday he got here. And that, I, that may be true. In fact, at, at a previous church I preached at, I had a guy ask for a meeting, and he came in and sat me down and said, you know, you just keep talking and talking about God's love and God's grace. We get it. I'm sorry, I'm going to keep talking and talking and talking about God's love and God's grace. I I don't know, you know, I'll try to repackage it. So there have been times in my life I look back over what I'm preaching and I think, man, I've been hitting the same themes a lot. I wonder if anybody's noticing, and I'm sure some of you are definitely noticing. But this, this series, the last five weeks or so, I have been preaching the same sermon on purpose, not on accident. Right, so I want you to think about this study we've been in. And kind of the, the themes that we have been exploring, right? It's, it's been really focused on one central idea. There have been different details. There have certainly been different stories along the way. But basically, the sermon I've been preaching for five weeks straight is, is this. When we are enslaved in a season of suffering, God is always working to bring us rescue and freedom. But we have to be patient. And that's the part of this sermon that I'm personally really sick of thinking about and talking about, and you might be sick of hearing about, right? Not, not this idea that God is always working to bring us rescue and freedom. That's something we need to hear every single week in some way, right? We need to be reminded of that truth. It's this idea that we have to wait, because waiting in a season of suffering is the single hardest thing that God could ask us to do. And yet, as Carrie talked about, there are times in our lives, seasons in our lives, when that's exactly what God asks us to do. So I, I want you to think for just a moment about what it's, it's been like as we have looked at chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 of Exodus, what it's been like for God's people and, and what it's felt like to keep By choice, right? I guess it's not your choice, but it's my choice to keep choosing to read this story as it unfolds and not just skip ahead to the good parts, right? So so you think about the suffering and the sorrow and the difficulty. I I mean, when when you open up Exodus uh, chapter 1, verse 1, by the time you get to verse 8, they're in trouble because there's a Pharaoh who doesn't remember Joseph, By the time you get to verse uh, 10 and 11, they're already becoming slaves because the people of Egypt, and more specifically the king of Egypt, is feeling threatened by just the sheer number of the Israelites who are residing within the the borders of the empire of of Egypt. And he says, look, if they ever figure this out, they're going to attack us and then they're going to take everything away from us. So we've got to hold them down. And that's exactly what he does. It's what all kinds of, of Egyptian men and women agree to go ahead and do. They're going to try to hold God's people down so that they can have some sense of control. That's how important control is to us as human beings, right? We'll almost do anything to have it. 
There's times in our lives where we may do unspeakable things to other people because we're desperate to have control. And so, you, you know, you open up a story like that and you think, okay, we get the point. Things are bad. Let's get to something where, where things are better. And, and yet, that's not how Scripture tells us the story. Right? Because we, we sit there and we keep hoping and we keep waiting for the theme to change. And we start to have to wrestle with this idea that every time we think it's going to get better, they're asked to wait once more. Every time we think it's, it's going to change, nothing really changes. Every, every time we're, we're hoping that somehow someone's going to figure out how to bring that freedom from oppression and sorrow and suffering that they desperately need, they're basically told not yet. And so I start to wonder, as someone who's studying this story in Scripture, you know, I start to have this question, which is how many false starts can there possibly be in this race towards the promised freedom of God's good future? He keeps talking about it all the time. He's describing it in detail. But then he's holding it at a distance. Why in the world is this happening this way? And there's a reason that, that I'm, I'm talking with this kind of emotion as I think about it, because when you and I read the Bible, it's not just because we're interested from, from some kind of you know, historical perspective. We're invested personally, because we don't just want to read about uh, thousands of years ago God delivering his people. We want to be reaffirmed in our belief that we have that same God. And if God can deliver people thousands of years ago, then we're going to experience deliverance now, here, in this moment, in this season. So it's not just some, you know, basic level of interest we have. We're invested here. And when you get to chapter 1 and they're slaves and then nothing changes, you get to chapter 2 and you think, okay, well, Moses is born and he's born against all the odds. He's born at a time when it was illegal. There was this decree in the land for, for Hebrew baby boys to continue to live their life after they're born, right? So he's born, in other words. He comes to life at a time when he shouldn't have been able to come to life at all. Surely that's a sign that he's the chosen one. He's going to be the one that changes everything. And he grows up. This all happens in Exodus chapter 2, right? He goes from being a baby in this little basket and rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. Again, all of the, these things have to fall into place. And, and he notices one day, he witnesses an Egyptian slave driver ruthlessly beating this Hebrew slave, this Israelite, and he gets angry and, and he's infuriated at the injustice of it all. So he tries to do something to intervene. But all he manages to do is end up taking the life of this Egyptian slave driver. And then you think, okay, well that's, you know, there had to be better ways to deal with this. But now that he's done it, maybe it'll be the spark to, to change everything, to start a revolution. Maybe the freedom, the rescue that God has been talking about, maybe it's going to happen now. But no. Moses looks around and figures out he's kind of all by himself in this moment. He's got, he's got nobody around him, and he's afraid for his life. So he runs out into this wilderness area of Midian, and he's there for 40 years before you get to Exodus 3. 40 years. I mean, 2020 and the first two months of 2021 have felt like more than just a year and two months, right? But 40 years? And then God calls him, and we're thinking, like, there's a part of me that wants to just hit pause on the movie and say to God, why are you calling him again? 
Last time he tried to fix things, he only made things worse. Surely there's somebody else you could use. No, God's committed. Our God is a God of second chances. That's not only true for me when I need it, it's true for Moses when he needs it, even if I can't find the courage to believe in him. God does. So he calls him. And and here's the thing. Somehow or another, 40 years have passed between Exodus 2 and Exodus 3, but the conversation between God and Moses, where God's trying to talk him into being a partner, drags on into Exodus chapter 4. I mean, it's like Moses doesn't even want the second chance that God's trying to give him. And he's cooking up all of these excuses and all of these concerns. He ends up, God has this divine level of patience with Moses. I mean, I I would have been a couple of excuses in and I would have said, forget it. I'll do it myself. But God's dedicated to having this partnership with Moses. And so he listens and he responds and he gets Moses to the place where he's going to go ahead and do it. He's going to be this this instrument, right? God's going to choose him to be the one who brings about this long-awaited moment of freedom and rescue and deliverance. And then Moses says, you know what? I can't go by myself. I just can't do it. And so God says, you know what? Fine. I'll recruit your brother Aaron. And so together, you're going to do this in my name. So they they leave. They finally leave the the wilderness area of Midian. They get back to Egypt where, where they needed to be the whole time. They go to the slave camp where God's people are being oppressed and they're experiencing injustice, and they show the signs, the wonders that God has given them to prove that they're not just saying they're the ones that God is sending, but to prove that that's really who they are. And so they, they convince God's people that the moment they've been waiting for is here, that it's shown up somehow in these two men who are willing to serve the way God has asked them to. So there's only one thing left to do, right? They're going to go to Pharaoh and they're going to lay out God's terms. God wants them to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on the face of the earth, and say, I know that this workforce, these slaves, are really important to you, but they need to be able to leave here and worship me in the wilderness for three days. So they go. They lay out God's demands as, you know, directly as they can, and Wouldn't you know it, but the most powerful man on the face of the earth isn't used to anybody telling him what he has to do. So he responds the way you'd expect him to respond. Not only does he say no, but he finds a way to make the Israelites' already unspeakably hard lives even harder. You you keeping track here? We're through Exodus 5 now. Time after time after time, right, we come back to this question. How many false starts can there possibly be? How many times can can we want that to be the the moment that finally shows up? How many times are, are the people putting their hope and their expectations and their dreams in God's hands only to have those dreams dashed along the rocks of their unpredictable lives that they they simply cannot figure out? A way forward. How many times? Well, we're to Exodus 6, and we're going to start reading together in verse 1, and we're going to find that something really important is changing in the story. Exodus 6, 1, we read these words. Then the Lord said to Moses, now, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. 
because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. You know, it's about time. Right? That's what Moses is feeling. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I'll free you from being slaves for them. I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. And then you'll know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you. You're not going to have to take it, right? I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him because of their discouragement. How many false starts, right? Because of their discouragement and harsh labor. And then the Lord said to Moses, go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, have you been reading the story? You know, if the Israelites won't listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I'm speaking with faltering lips? Okay, now I'll just tell you right now. This is one of those sermons where I'm trying my best to help you understand your Bible better, okay? Because these are things that too often, right, when you do sermon series, you just have to pick out 10 or 12 verses a week and it's hard to keep everything in your mind and what's going on. But I want you to notice what's happening here. We've been here before five times already. Okay? He starts out the way he started out the first time he talked to Moses, right? I am the Lord your God. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We get it already, right? Why do you keep bringing up these three names? Well, for good reason. These three names are a way to to remind us that they're not just names, they're stories, right? They're stories of three lives that were touched and transformed by the promises of God that God kept, right? It's not just promises that are forever delayed. They're promises that broke into the lives of these men, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They didn't just know about God's promises. Their lives were, were totally changed because of the power of God's promises, and it reminds us, right, that we're a part of that story. It's not just for the Israelites that, that this helps remind people of what's going on here, who this God has proven himself to be. You and I, we, we belong to a story, and at times we forget this. We belong to a story that started long before we were born and is going to end, well, I'm honestly not sure it's ever going to end, right, because it's God's story that we're all caught up in, and God is never going to come to an end that's a part of what's going on in our heart is that God knows that at many times when we're in a season of suffering, we're forgetting who he has been. The promises he's already made and kept. He's trustworthy. It's not theoretical. We know it because we know stories like Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and their lives, but we don't just know it from thousands of years ago. We know it in our own experience. When Yahweh says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is saying to the hopeless, 
to the fearful, and to the suffering. Look, I've been here before. I have been sharing life with people who are hopeless. I've walked beside people who are fearful. I've been there with people who are suffering. And, and to the hopeless, I gave new life. To the fearful, I gave new courage. To the suffering, I gave new freedom. It's what I did for them, and it's what I'm going to do for you. Right? This is God's promise, and it's not just for the Israelites. It's for you and for me in this very moment. Now, again, I'll admit it. This all sounds really familiar because we've been here before throughout five chapters over and over again. This is a beautiful promise. God's just made it before. And he's made it before in these words to Moses and to the people. See, something changes in Exodus chapter 6. It's this moment that you could miss. If you just chop up the story into these little 10-verse sections and you can't hold the whole sweep of what's going on, you could miss it. But see, in in Exodus 6, it's it's like the story of the Exodus gets to start over. Right? It's like if this was a film. Exodus 6 is is a point where a director would say to people on a set, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, the the scene isn't quite working, so we're going to try take two. So everybody get back in their places, and we're going to do this again. Or it's like if if you were, you know, sitting next to a master storyteller, and and they were trying to, to really get you into this, this story that they're, they're weaving together. And they look up and they realize they've kind of lost you. And they say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let me take another run at that. Or it's like in your own experience, your, your everyday experience with people. Have you ever had a time where you set aside a day to be with a close friend, but you hadn't been with them for a while? And maybe some things had happened and, and you're trying to connect, but you're just out of sync. And you end up having you know, arguments about silly things and you just aren't really enjoying the time that that you're spending together the way you've been looking forward to it. And one of you finds the courage to say, hey, um, we just got off on the wrong foot. Can we start over? That's what Exodus chapter 6 is doing in the story. It's, it's It's like being able to hit a reset button. Seriously, I want you on your phone. Again, I don't always do this, right? But I want to help you get grasp what's going on. So go to your Bible if you have an old school one like this or on your phone or whatever. I want you to see this. All the things that have already happened in the five previous chapters happen again. I mean, exactly. What, I want you to look at the passage right after the, the scripture we just read this morning. What's, what happens there? Somebody yell at me. What's, what's next? There's a term for it. It's a certain type of passage. What's next? 6.13. What starts? It's the most boring parts of the Bible. Genealogies. You know where those go? Not in the middle. Those go at the beginning. In fact, go back to Exodus chapter 1 and guess what you're going to find? A really short genealogy. What's going on in chapter 6? Why, why do we need a genealogy of Moses and Aaron? We already know them. Right? And then in the passage we read, doesn't that all sound familiar to you? God comes to Moses and calls Moses and says, I want you to go do this thing. I want you to deliver my people. And then Moses pushes back. 
and has excuses and God's patient with him. In fact, if you keep reading, you're going to find he says, I can't, this whole faltering lips thing, you know, he's back to that. It's the same old song all the time. I can't talk, I can't talk. So all the time, God says, fine, where's Aaron? Get him over here. God does it again. You remember the sign with the staff that turns into a snake? They've already done that. Guess what happens? Happens again. They've already talked to Pharaoh. They already demanded for Pharaoh to let the people go. Guess what God tells them to do? Go do it again. Except for this time, everything happens. See, this time, when they go to Pharaoh and they demand for, God, for God's people to be released, and Pharaoh says no, there's no more waiting. You know what happens immediately after that? God says to Moses, you go meet Pharaoh out in the morning. You take some water from the Nile and you pour it out in front of him and it's going to turn into blood and then all the water's going to turn into blood. I'm done waiting. God is done waiting. Which means God's people, thank God, are done waiting. And, you know, I... I think it's so important to realize that it all happens so quickly here. After five chapters of waiting, deliverance is no longer at you know, some kind of far-off distance. It's, it's happening. It's beginning to arrive. There are no more false starts here. Everything they've been hoping for is set in motion. Now, it's not like the past chapters have been forgotten. How do you forget what they've been through? 40 years more of slavery and suffering and watching their babies die at the hands of the Egyptians? Like, you don't forget that. You don't walk away from that. It's just that, that those previous five chapters, they're not actually the place where the action really gets going. If I can say just as clearly as I can, Exodus chapters 1 through 5 tell us the story of what it's like to keep waiting and waiting. I couldn't fit all this on the slide. And waiting and waiting and waiting for God's deliverance to finally show up. But in Exodus 6 and all the chapters that follow, they tell us the story of what it's like when God's deliverance finally breaks into our lives. And there's a part of me that thinks, you know... The Bible could have used an editor here. It's like we should have just called Exodus 1 through 5 a prologue or a foreword. You know, you don't even have the real numbers of 1, 2, 3. Use those little tiny italic you know, Roman numerals that I can never keep track of. Like the setup to the story, right? It's not the story itself. And in fact, if you took your Bible and you just started reading in Exodus 6... You, you don't need to know the previous five chapters to make sense of everything. I mean, for goodness sake, we're getting like, you know, their family trees here in, in Exodus 6. That, you know, you're going back before Moses and Aaron are even born, right? You don't need it. You don't need it, I guess, to understand the story. But we need it. We need Exodus chapters 1 through 5. Because they tell us the truth about our own life stories. I mean, if this past year and these past, I was going to say two months, this last week was like the worst month of my life. Right? The longest month of your life. It doesn't feel like a week off when you're trying to survive. We know what it's like to be waiting and waiting and waiting. And we can't just deny it. We can't. Focus on something else. We can't pretend it didn't happen. 
we need Exodus chapters 1 through 5 to be in the Bible because Exodus chapters 1 through 5, we've lived it. None of us would have chosen to live it. None of us would have wanted to live it. But brothers and sisters, we've lived it. And we need to be reminded, right? The Bible's not just teaching us what to think. The Bible's trying to teach us how to think. Okay, there's a difference there. And part of what the Bible's trying to help us think here is when we find ourselves stuck in a discouraging holding pattern that never seems to end. I mean, it's exhausting to even try to write a list of what we collectively have been through in the last 15, 18 months, right? As a people, I'm not even getting into your personal life. And if you're anything like me, there's been plenty of ups and downs in your personal life, right? But you lay on top of it, social unrest across the political spectrum. You, you have COVID-19 that, that well, I, how, I don't even know what to say, I can't finish the sentence, okay? <laughs> then on top of that, this exhausting election. If I, I, I couldn't even turn on TV for I don't know how long. Then you get past the election and, and then you've got this polar vortex that felt like somebody dragged the Arctic Circle down to my address. Enough already, right? Enough already. I've had people tell me, you need a different title because we're not having better days. That's the point. That's why Exodus 1 through 5, that's why they're there. But thank God for Exodus 6. Right? When the waiting is finally over. When that deliverance that was kept at this, this far off distance and it's just on the horizon and you keep having to tell yourself you believe in it even though it's not coming yet. Finally, the wait is over. Like you and I have to be honest about this, right? Painful events always make up some of the chapters in the story of our lives. That's the unavoidable truth. But starting in Exodus chapter 6, we're reminded of an equally important truth, and I would argue a far more powerful truth. God's undeserved deliverance is always the best part of our story. It is always a part of our story, and more than that, it is always the heart of our story. God's undeserved deliverance. And God's undeserved deliverance, it comes breaking in at just the right time. Isn't that how Paul said it? At just the right time, when we needed God more than anything else and God's rescue more than anything else, at just the right time, that's when deliverance comes. And it is hard to wait for that moment, for that that time. But Exodus 6 tells us it's always closer to us than we would ever imagine. And even if we feel like we're stuck living the same difficult thing, wave after wave after wave after wave, God's undeserved deliverance, it's, it's here if we could just find the faith to see it. It's coming. I, I love that God says to, to Moses here, I know we've been through a lot already, and it's only been five chapters, but now you will see. All the things I've promised come true now. And what we're waiting for, brothers and sisters, is for now to become just the right time. So here's what I, here's what I want. I want to unleash this congregation this week. I'm serious. I want us to pray in agreement for now. 
right? For God to deliver us from COVID now. For God to help the grieving families who've lost people for all kinds of reasons over the last year and a half and we haven't really been able to share life the way we want to. All of that loss and all of that grief, I want us to pray for God to give people the strength to keep going now. I want us to pray that God would give all of us in this church the wisdom and the eyes to see, to to be able to position our church family in such a way that we could be a true blessing to this community around us now. I want us to pray that we'll find a way to be patient and loving and kind to people who annoy us to no end now. I want us to find a way through the the strength and and the presence of God for us to find new possibilities that nobody else can see because we're people of the resurrection. We're Easter people. And I want us to experience that truth now. I want us this week to pray for God to usher in a Deuteronomy chapter six kind of moment now. Because I don't know about you, but I've had all I can take and I'm done waiting. I'm tired of waiting. And I promise you, if we will pray for God to answer those prayers now, we're gonna find out that there's ways God is already working to deliver us that we've missed because we're so focused on the things in our past and in our lives that are threatening us and making us feel afraid or they seem too complex for us to fix and we get caught up in it and we get stuck. And I'm telling you, God's deliverance, is his undeserved deliverance, his grace, it always breaks in and it gives us the ability, not our own ability, but God's ability to start over again, to have a new day, a better day. For us and for God, I want us to pray now that God will help us experience his rescue and his release and his redemption and his deliverance all over again like it's for the first time. For every single one of us, it's what I want. And I don't just want it for us, I want it for everyone So will you partner with me this week and will you pray for God to come into our lives in brand new ways now? It's the prayer I need more than anything else to be heard and answered. And I trust that you're in that same place too. We're going to sing together and as we do, my hope is that you start to see the places where God is already coming to save us. Would you stand together? Let's sing.